0: The sermon text this morning is John 20, verses 19 through 23. Hear the word of the Lord. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, Even so, I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we come to your word because we need to hear from you. And so as as you speak... And as your spirit convicts and uses your word, I pray that we would be receptive to it, not only to believe what we hear, but to respond in obedience as we leave this place. Uh, Father, we, we take time to, to intercede uh, for those who are in the wake of the uh, disastrous hurricane that, that will be arriving uh, to, the, to the states soon enough, um, but even those um, that, are, that are in its, its path now, we pray for protection um, we pray that wise decisions will be made. We, we pray that you would spare lives. Um, we pray that you would stop it. Um, and in the aftermath, I pray that your people, your church would be among the first to respond uh, and, and use us in any way that we can to, uh, to help. Uh, Father, we, uh, we're grateful um, just heard word, uh, Mr. Jim Davis, one of our own uh, members is uh, recovering his back uh, with Miss Edith at Generations. We praise you for that and uh, just pray for continued healing for him. Um, Father, as, as your gospel now goes forth here and across our city, I pray that you would empower those who are preaching, uh, that, that our sister churches would be equipped in the gospel so that we can contend together in our city. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Uh, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. The last uh, couple weeks, we, we were in Ephesians. Uh, we're, we're in a little bit of a topical series right now on the church. Uh, we, we walked through the book of James over the summer, and uh, Avery preached a psalm. We're, we're going to be preaching through the psalms occasionally throughout the year. And, uh, and then we decided to, to look at our identity, the life of our church, and the mission of the church in a three-week series. And so we're now at the end of that. Next week, we're gonna be starting the book of Daniel. So that's gonna be really fun. I really wanna encourage you to read ahead. Read, read all of Daniel. If you have time this week to read, and you're, maybe, maybe make this week of daily reading just an opportunity for you to dig into Daniel and read the entire book. It would be so cool if by next week when we begin preaching through Daniel, you've already read through the entire book. I wanna challenge you to do that, but at least try to read Daniel 1 before uh, we begin walking through it on Sunday. We're going to send out some resources to you. Uh, anytime we're in a book of the Bible that is a little unfamiliar or has a particular historical setting, we want to we want to send out some resources to help you be more familiar. And so we're going to do that this week, and we'll continue our practice of preaching through Bible books verse by verse. We'll be in Daniel until the end of November, and then in December we're going to pick up an Advent series, until, and that'll take us to the end of the year. Um, to recap the last couple of sermons, I've contended that we are who we are as a church because of what God has done for us in Jesus. And then last week, we, we considered that what we do as a church is also dependent on what God has done for us in Jesus. But what we do as a church, I said it was gonna be a, a two-parter. So last week, we talked about what we do as a church, but we only focused on uh, what we do together when we gather on Sunday mornings and in life groups and as we equip one another and in all of our ministries. Uh, but what we do as a church should not be limited to gatherings and ministries within these walls. And, and how we consider to carry out the mission of God or carry out what he's called us to do should not be limited to to how we equip one another, to how we help one another reach maturity. That's definitely part of it, and we considered it last week, but it will be easy for us because I've seen it in churches and I've been in churches where this this is true, and it's easy for us to fall into this. It's easy for us to focus all of our attention, our resources, our time, our energy on working on the life and health of the church through its ministries without considering our mission to the world. When's the last time you considered how our church is reaching the world with the gospel? Some of you are very missions-minded, so you think about it a lot. But that's the one aspect or area of the church's work that that is easiest for us to neglect. So it's, it's very possible for us, if, if we're not attentive, if we're not intentional, from this point on... To be more of a come-and-see church than a go-and-tell church. So come and see what we have. Come and see. Come and see instead of go and tell. But if the last two weeks we were content to say the gospel is at the center, so if, if the gospel is going to be at the center of our identity as a church, we are who we are because of what God has done for us in Jesus. We don't bring anything to the table except our sin, If we can say that, and if we can say that the gospel is going to be shaping the community of our church as we seek to grow together in godliness, then we must also say that the gospel is in the driver's seat of our mission as a church. The gospel is at the center of who we are. The gospel is at the center of what we do together when we gather. But the gospel is also at the center of what we do in our community, in our state, and in the world. So last week, we talked about what God calls us to do as we gather together. This week, today, we're gonna talk about what God calls us to do as we scatter. When when we say our confession in prayer and we leave this place and we go to our own homes and we go back to work throughout the week and as we seek to make make plans, what does God expect of us? Better question, what is the mission of the church? That's what we're gonna consider this morning. So in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, we see that the church is sent by Jesus into the world in the power of the Holy Spirit to announce the gospel and advance the kingdom of God. So the way we could spin that, the mission of the church is to go, the mission of the church is to go into the world in the power of the Holy Spirit to do two things, announce the gospel and advance the kingdom of God, and they're both related. We're going to consider each part of that statement uh, to try to come to an answer. What is the mission of the church? Okay, so first what we're going to consider is that the church is sent by Jesus. All right, so let's look at John twenty nineteen through 23. Let's look at the first two verses. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And then again in verse 21, he says the same thing Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So, for context, what's happening here in this passage? So, Jesus has died. Jesus died on a cross, he was crucified. Uh, He died. His body was taken down from the cross. He was taken to a tomb. He was buried. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And just before this, Jesus has already started to appear to his followers. So he revealed himself to uh, Peter and John saw that the tomb was empty. And then he revealed himself specifically and intimately to Mary. And so, so he reveals himself to Mary. And he tells Mary to go and tell the rest of the disciples that he's alive. And then we, we fast forward and we have this scene and we don't know exactly how many of the disciples are here. We know that Thomas isn't here because of what we find later in the chapter. Uh, we're not exactly sure how many of them are there but they're still afraid. So Mary came as the first missionary to tell them that Jesus was alive and I guess they didn't believe her. It's, it's possible they didn't believe her. Maybe she hadn't gotten there in time. I, I don't know. Uh, but they're, they're still afraid, okay? And then Jesus appears. So they've locked the doors. They're hiding from the Jews. They're, they're afraid that they're gonna suffer the same faith that, that their leader suffered. And then Jesus appears. And he shows them, it's me, it's me. Look at my hands, look at my side. And when they saw and they had the confirmation that it was the real Jesus, they delighted that he was with them. And then, so Jesus died, Jesus rose, Jesus appeared. And then Jesus commissions them. Again, he says, peace be with you, and then he gives them a mission. This is John's version of the, the Great Commission. You're probably more familiar with Matthew 28, uh, the end of Matthew for the Great Commission, but this is how John puts it. He says that Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And there are two aspects to this commission that Jesus gives to his followers, and it's the same apply to us. First, we are sent because of, Jesus was sent. And secondly, we are sent as Jesus was sent. So, first, we are sent into the world as the church because Jesus was first sent. So, Jesus was sent to accomplish the mission of God. Now, what is the mission of God? I don't know how many of you have ever considered that before, but it's actually a major theme in the Bible, the mission of God. It's it's a theme that we find in the pages of Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation. The mission of God is simply the rescue or salvation of sinners. God chose in his great love and grace after his creation, after people rebelled against him and sinned against them, God chose to go on mission after them. He sent for them. In his his love and in his grace, he chose to redeem sinners. He chose to restore a lost and fallen world. And, And throughout scripture, we see the mission of God unfold. As you read throughout the Old Testament, you see glimpses and you see the heart of the Lord to reach the nations. Even when he calls the people of Israel you know, he, he still has a mission to reach not just them, but all nations. And this mission of God in scripture, as it's unfolding, it culminates with the arrival of Jesus. So Jesus says here, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. We go because Jesus first came to us. Jesus came to fulfill his role in the mission of God. Now, how did he do that? how does god or how does jesus accomplish his role in the mission of god we can sum it up with six words okay six words this is how jesus accomplished the mission of god first word incarnation incarnation. Jesus is God the Son. He is eternal. Uh, the children are walking through the New City Catechism on Wednesday nights. They just finished talking about the Trinity. If you need help understanding the Trinity, just ask your kids. They'll, they'll, they'll be excellent at uh, at helping you out. Actually, I would rather have some of them explain it to you than, than, than I would. But, but incarnation, okay? So Jesus is God the Son. He is eternal. But at a specific point in history, God the Son took on human flesh. And so so Jesus became a man, and he, and he lived among us. So first, incarnation. Second, fulfillment. In his life, Jesus never sinned. At every single point, he fulfilled perfectly the law of God in our place. So, so that's the second step to, to Jesus accomplishing the mission of God. The third is atonement. So Jesus came, Jesus lived a perfect life, and then third, Jesus died a substitutionary death. That means that Jesus died in your place. When Jesus died on the cross, he took your sin, he took the sins of the world upon himself and suffered under the wrath of God in your place. He became a propitiation, the Bible tells us. So in accomplishing the mission of God, first, he had to come, incarnation. Second, he had to fulfill the law, fulfillment. Uh, um, Third, he had to die in our place, atonement. And then fourth, resurrection, resurrection. There, there is no gospel. There, the mission would have been a failure without the resurrection. And so Jesus rose bodily from the grave. And that's what we see in this passage. He shows them his hands. He shows them his side. He himself is the crucified Lord who is now the risen Lord. And so, okay, so incarnation, fulfillment, atonement, resurrection. And then, we always forget about this one, ascension. Okay, so, so Jesus... Uh, later, He's revealing himself. He's, he's hanging out with his disciples. But at some point in the future, he's going to ascend into heaven. And he does that. We see that in the book of Acts in chapter 1. Jesus ascends into heaven. And so he is currently reigning from on high as the rightful king of the kingdom of God. And he sends the Holy Spirit. Okay? So in accomplishing the mission of God, he, he, there's the incarnation, fulfillment, atonement, resurrection, ascension. And then the sixth word, return. Return. Jesus' role in the mission of God is, in one sense, incomplete. When Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead, the mission of God will be finished. And the full restoration of all things will be a reality in the new heavens and the new earth. So Jesus accomplished God's mission. He accomplished it. And that that future return that we are waiting on, it is a guarantee. So we can say with certainty, the mission has been accomplished, even though we're awaiting the culmination with his return. And here's, here's the crazy part. We, as his followers, are invited to join him in the fulfillment of this mission. Now, before we talk about our role in the mission of God, Talked about Jesus' role in it. We're going to talk about our role in it. Before we do that, we need to pause and marvel at the reality of God's mission. The simple fact of God's mission. the, The simple reality that there is a mission of God. Think about it. Think about this scene in John 20 in particular. So, the risen Lord Jesus, he appears to his disciples, he reveals himself to his disciples, and he sends them out on a mission. It's seamless. It's seamless, you follow the progression. He shows up, we're we're given some information about the, the state of the disciples' minds and hearts, they're scared to death, they're hiding. He shows up, he says, peace be with you. He reveals himself to them, it's really me. And then he says, I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out. These disciples, these frightened disciples who had each abandoned and denied Jesus through their flight, okay? We always think about Peter bailing on Jesus, right? Peter's the only one that had the guts to even be around the area where Jesus was. The rest of these jokers fled, okay? They weren't around. They didn't have the opportunity to deny Jesus publicly because they they weren't there, So all of these disciples are guilty of the same denial that Peter was. They hid. And so when Jesus reveals himself here, they're still in hiding. They're not looking for Jesus and it's likely they had heard a testimony from one of their dear friends that Jesus was alive and they're not going to look for him. They're scared to death. They don't believe her testimony. They're in hiding and Jesus comes to them. And you would think they would receive the scolding of a lifetime, right? It's like Jesus shows up and he's like, uh-huh, you know, like, um, where were y'all, you know, when, when that happened? What, what are y'all doing? I mean, he just had every opportunity to just drop a bomb on them right there. And instead, he says, you scared, cowardly, weak followers of mine, I'm sending you Out. I'm sending you out into the world. This group does not seem like the type that should be sent on a dangerous and eternally important mission, right? Like, they're, they're not capable of this. This ragtag group of cowards was God's plan for reaching all peoples with the gospel. In, in this little scene here, we get a glimpse into the grace behind the mission with Jesus' simple greeting. You know, peace be with you was just a common expression. It was just, you know, a common greeting. Um, But he, he says it twice. And by the second time, they would have picked up on the spiritual significance of this phrase. Peace be with you. By the second time, after he shows them his hands and he shows them his side, that this crucified Passover lamb is the risen and reigning Lord of the universe, when he shows them who he is and he says the second time, peace be with you. They had to have had this realization. Because Jesus is standing in the house with them and not lying dead in the tomb, these fearful, scared, weak disciples have peace with God. They have peace with God. And it's out of that reconciled relationship that they are sent out. So... Before we consider what we're called to do specifically, would you just marvel with me at the love and the grace and the patience of Jesus and the scandal of the fact of this mission? Jesus never gave up on his disciples. Do you know why? Because they were his. That's it. Not because they were special and they were just having a bad day. He never gave up on his disciples because they were his. And he sent them out, not because they were highly capable, but because that was his gracious will. So God's mission, God's mission testifies to his love for you and me. God loves us. God the Father sent after us. Even though we are the ones who turned away, we are the ones who rebelled, we are the ones who ran. He sent after us and God the Son, Jesus, came for us. And God the Holy Spirit indwells us and empowers us. God suffered for us, for us. We're like these disciples. For sinners, for the weak, for the broken. He called us out of this world to be recipients of his love and his grace. But it's so mind-boggling. He doesn't just save us remember we talked about the first week he saves us he brings us into his family as his children he brings us into his kingdom as citizens we are are stones in the temple of God growing into a holy dwelling place for him he doesn't just do that he sends us out God calls us out of the world as recipients of his grace in order to send us back into the world as agents of his grace why us? Why, why you? Why, why me? Why would he choose us? Most of us aren't overly clever, okay? We're not. We're not overly powerful. We don't have much sway. You know, I, I, if, I, if I went in downtown Tupelo and just just stood up and started talking about Jesus, some people might take pictures of me to make fun of me on Instagram or something, but I mean, no, one, no one's going to take me serious. I don't, have, I don't have, you know, a ton of clout in the city, I'm I'm not super powerful and yet he calls me, he calls you to go into the city to go into the world to announce his gospel the holy and perfect God chooses and chases messed up, broken sinners like us and then when he brings us in, he brings us in, the worst sinner you can think of when he brings that terrible wretched sinner in, he sends that sinner out You are qualified. You are qualified to take my gospel to the ends of the earth because you are mine. The mission of God is at the heart of God's will for the world. He wants to save it. He wants to redeem it. And he has accomplished that through Jesus. On the basis of that mission, he sends us out into the world. Now, the means of carrying out this mission they're so ordinary they're almost boring we talk we, we we speak specific words we live a specific kind of life and that's it that's it it's really ordinary but never miss how truly miraculous the fact of this mission is we're sent because Jesus was sent. But we're not just sent because Jesus was sent. We are sent as Jesus was sent. I don't want to make too much of this in verse 21. If, if you look at it after he says, peace be with you, he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Uh, so much discussion about, you know, okay, he's saying that we're sent just like Jesus was sent. Now, what does that mean? Um, you know, John Stott famously is a famous writer. Um, and he, you know, he, he talked about how Jesus, it was the incarnation, so we're supposed to live incarnational lives in the world. And, you know, I don't know, just so much ink has been spilled over this. So I don't want to make too much of it. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. It could just simply be, it probably just simply is, that we are sent, you know, Jesus was sent, now we are sent. Just, oh, okay, there's a comparison there. But I don't, I don't want us to not compare it. So our mission, our mission should mirror Jesus' mission, or, or maybe I should be more careful because there's one mission of God, Our role in the mission of God does mirror, does resemble Jesus' role in the mission of God in in certain ways. There are four ways that our mission, our mission in the world, uh, or our role in the mission mirrors Jesus' role in the mission. Uh, First, like Jesus, we have a specific relationship with the one who sent us. Okay? So the Father sent Jesus. Jesus. Over 150 times in the book of John, do we have that that phrase listed? Sent, sent, I'm sent from the father and the relationship described between the father and the son, the father as sender and the son as sent. So like Jesus, we know God or we know our sender. Like Jesus, we glorify him. We're called to do his will. We're called to do his works. We're called to speak his words. We're called to follow his example. We're called to bear witness to him. We're called to exercise delegated authority from from him. Jesus did all of those things, and we are called to do all of those things in our role in the mission. So like Jesus, we have a relationship with our sender. Second, like Jesus, we are indwelled with divine power. Okay, so when Jesus embarks on his mission on earth, the spirit the spirit comes upon him. Okay, so is indwelled with the spirit just like we are indwelled with the spirit to carry out our role in the mission and Jesus is God in the flesh himself. Okay, so third, like Jesus, we have a specific role in the mission of God. So he had a specific role and we have a specific role and our role is not his. Okay, we're not called to be Jesus to people. Jesus accomplished his part of the mission by taking on flesh, fulfilling the law, dying in the place of sinners, rising from the dead, ascending into heaven, and one day returning to judge the living and the dead. We accomplish our part in the mission of God by proclaiming what Jesus did. Okay, we announce what Jesus did. We announce his accomplishment. All right, fourth, how is is our, our mission or our role in the mission similar to Jesus's? Like Jesus, we sacrifice and at times suffer for the accomplishment of the mission the mission of God to reach sinners is a dangerous mission it is a difficult mission and in order to fulfill our part in the mission of God we have to sacrifice time we have to sacrifice resources we sacrifice personal ambition I love I love how Rory led us in a time of confession there We sacrifice our own personal missions for the sake of God's mission. If you're unwilling to do that, you're unwilling to walk as Jesus walked to fulfill your part in the mission of God. And it may even be true for some of us that we risk and lose our lives to fulfill the mission of God in the world. So we have a relationship with our sender. We are indwelled with divine power. We have a specific role in the mission of God. And we sacrifice Jesus was sent in the world, and we are sent into the world just like him. So, as we go into the world, we have to go just like he did, with full submission to the sender, full obedience, seeking to glorify him, seeking to know him more, and seeking to follow his example and speak his words and do his work in the world. The church is sent. By Jesus. But we're not alone in this mission. Okay, I, I love verse 22. And I know some of you are going to be disappointed because we're not walking through John verse by verse. I'm not going to give you an exegetical commentary on the different views of verse 22. D.A. Carson, uh, he, he, in his commentary, he gave 10 pages, 10 pages to that one issue here. So, verse 22, uh, we read from John chapter 20, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit, and again, I don't even want to get into it, but There there's so many different ways that you can approach this passage, a couple of them that are really valid, and I'm not 100% sure where I'll land on it, so that's a side reason why I'm probably not going to talk about it, um, but the point is here, and what I want to emphasize to you is that the church is not just sent by Jesus into the world, the church is sent in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are not alone in our mission as we go out into the world we are filled with the empowering presence of God now I'm not going to ask you you know to raise your hands or 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 discuss it with me but how many of you struggle when it comes to evangelism or gospel-centered conversations sometimes even when an op- you know a lot of times what we'll say is lord please you know give us an opportunity just put an opportunity in in, in front of me and we'll pray that and then when an opportunity presents itself then we're like whoa whoa uh, i don't know what to do here i don't know what to say i'm uh, i'm afraid how this person's going to respond sometimes people ask us direct questions you know like you go to church why do you do that i think that's silly and it's like you know teed up for you and you're just like ah oh, I don't don't know which way to hold the bat you know like you, you don't know what to do you, you, a lot of times though we're intimidated by gospel conversations we're intimidated by evangelism because we're afraid we're afraid we're afraid how the person's going to respond. We're afraid that, especially if it's someone who's in your life, like a family member or a friend, that it's going to you know, drive a wedge between you. And now your just relationship's going to be really awkward. Or if it's a coworker that you see every day and you're like, man, I really need to talk to this person about Jesus. And, but you're afraid to, because then it's like, man, going to work every day is going to stink now. It's going to be so awkward every time I pass this person at work. But we shouldn't be afraid. And, and some of you, maybe you're not afraid. You know, you're like, I mean, I, I have some boldness. I, I would have a conversation. I just don't know what to say. I feel inadequate. Or I'm not very compelling. And if they ask me a certain kind of question, I'm going to have to say, I don't know, and I'm going to look like a fool. How do I not know? I don't know something I'm banking my entire life and eternity on. How do I not know? And, and you feel inadequate. All right, I'm not going to, you know, try to convince you that you're not inadequate, Okay. I'm not going to try to talk you out of being afraid, just like, don't be scared, just go do it, you know? But here's what I do know. The Spirit is not inadequate. The Holy Spirit is not weak. And the Holy Spirit is not afraid. And I also know that you have the Holy Spirit, if you are a Christ follower, dwelling inside you. And the Holy Spirit empowers you receive the Holy Spirit as you go on this mission. The Holy Spirit empowers you to have these conversations. And I also know this. God made no mistakes in making you exactly the way he did. And he made no mistake when he called you to himself. And he made no mistake when he sent you in all of your weakness and all of your inadequacy out on mission for him. You are qualified to be his witness and tell of his great works because of who you are in him. So when we go, when we go into the nations, when you go next door to your neighbor, you go in the power of the Holy Spirit, who is God. You go with divine power every time you have one of these conversations. So you may be afraid but you're also filled with the spirit of the living God. He's with you. He's with us as we go on mission into our world. He will give us the words to say. He will give us the courage we need. He will give us the wisdom we crave for how to navigate these conversations. And he will use our obedience, no matter how weak the effort is, He will use our obedience to the mission to bring lost sheep into the fold. He will use you. Trust him. Trust him and be faithful to carry out your role in this mission knowing that you pack the power of the Holy Spirit behind all of your evangelistic conversations. So the church is sent by Jesus, but the church is sent in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not alone in this mission. But here's the question everybody's wanting to know. What are we sent to do? And maybe you're sitting there and you're like, oh, I know exactly what we're sent to do. We're sent to share the gospel. We're sent to share the gospel, and, and that's the end of the story. But, you know, especially as you consider, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you, Jesus did a lot of stuff, right? Like Jesus healed the poor, Jesus cared for the weak. So is that part of the mission too? Or is it only about announcing and sharing the news of what Jesus has done. Here's the way I'll present it to you. All right, third and final, final truth. The church is sent to announce the gospel and advance the kingdom of God. And I wanted to be clear on that. Announcing the gospel is a part of advancing the kingdom of God, but I wanted to be clear on those, those two points. The church is sent to announce the gospel and advance the kingdom of God. What are we sent to do? Jesus sends us to first announce the gospel. Look at verse twenty-three. And again, uh, there's some issues here that we could we could parse out, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to take up your time with that. Verse twenty-three. Jesus says, after he says, "Receive the Holy Spirit." If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. All right. So it's tempting to read that and think, okay, what in the world is going on here? The, he's giving these disciples this special kind of authority where they can forgive sins, but I thought only God could forgive sins, and so maybe you reason it out theologically, and you're like, well, the disciples had a specific role in the in the life of the church, so maybe with that apostolic authority, they could forgive sins in a way that, that we can't, because obviously we can't do this. Maybe, maybe that's how you, you reason it out. Um, this is actually a very ordinary verse. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. We are granted authority in the gospel to say to someone either your sins are forgiven or your sins are not forgiven. And the basis of that declaration is the reception or rejection of the gospel message. We share the gospel with someone and they respond with faith in Jesus. We can with confidence tell that person your sins are forgiven. And if we share the gospel message with someone and they reject it, and they ask if their sins are forgiven, we say, no, your sins are not forgiven. We're not God, we're not the ones that are offering the forgiveness, but we can, as his emissaries, as those who are sent out into the world, we can with full confidence say, your sins are forgiven, your sins are not forgiven. And what this lets us know is, it gives us the context of the mission. The mission is about gospel proclamation. The mission is about gospel announcement to the world. So as Jesus' has sent ones, we can offer or withhold forgiveness on the basis of a person's reception or rejection of the gospel. We can say with authority, your sins are forgiven, or your sins are not forgiven. Now, since we're called to announce the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us, who are we called to announce it to? To whom do we announce the gospel? Well, We are called out of the world. We are in the world and we are of the world and by turning from sin and trusting in Jesus, we are called out of the world as we are drawn to the Father through Jesus, okay? We are called out of the world, but we are called out of the world to be sent right back into the world to announce this gospel to who? Anyone and everyone. Now, at Trace. Historically and even currently, we hold to a Reformation theology. And uh, if you want to know what that means, come to my equipping class this Wednesday. That's what we're talking about. Um, we hold to a Reformation theology, which means that we have a big God theology. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, we believe that God is absolutely sovereign in salvation. He's in control. He's in control. He is absolutely sovereign in salvation. But that belief does not limit the scope of our gospel announcement. In fact, what we believe is that because we believe in a God who is so sovereign in salvation, we are more compelled to announce the gospel to anyone and everyone with confidence that he will effectively draw sinners to himself through the proclamation of the gospel. So we announce the victory of Jesus to anyone and everyone. No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, we offer the gospel to you without discrimination, fully and freely, to every single person on the face of the planet. If you are a sinner, you are a candidate for the gospel. Every single person needs Jesus. So every single person we meet that doesn't already know Jesus, we Announce what Jesus has done to them. Jesus sends us to announce the gospel, but he also sends us to advance the kingdom. I don't know if you've ever thought about it in this way. Um, as we're announcing the gospel, we're also called to live a certain way, all right? So Paul told us in Ephesians that we are now citizens of a new kingdom, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. It's a spiritual kingdom, it's an eternal kingdom, it's a kingdom that arrived on the earth when Jesus came, he brought a kingdom with him. He established his kingdom. And it's not consummated yet, it's not full, it's not complete, but it's here. And we live in it, we have dual citizenship, okay? In this world and in the kingdom of God. So we are citizens of that kingdom. What that means is we play by the king's rules. We submit to Jesus before we submit to anybody else in this world. And if government rules or laws cause us to choose between the two, we choose obedience to Jesus over obedience to even our government. Right? So we live as kingdom citizens in the world. Here's what that means. Wherever we are, wherever the church is, that place should be a better place because the church is there. Because you're playing by the king's rules that your job, your job should be a better place because of your presence there. Because you are going out of your way to love your enemies, right? Because you're citizens of the kingdom. Because you are showing grace and mercy. Because you are doing good works It should be a better place. Kingdom advancement, specifically at the church at Trace Crossing, we have three goals. All right, you ready? We have three goals. Kingdom advancement. Mission goal number one. We've already talked about it a little bit with gospel announcement, but it's church expansion. Church expansion. We advance the kingdom through evangelism and church planting. We want to see. I'm just talking about Trace Crossing, by the way. This applies to every church, but I'm only talking about us. We want to grow. And we're always hesitant, like, oh, don't care about numbers, don't care about numbers. We just care about growing spiritually. No, we want to grow numerically as well. We do. We want our church to grow. But I want it to grow. My dream, my dream for church growth at Trace Crossing is that this place starts growing because all of you are evangelizing. You're sharing the gospel with lost people in our city and they are coming to faith in Jesus and we baptize them and they become members of our church. That's how I want to see our church grow. A lot of churches, especially in the South, grow because what happens is you become disgruntled at one church and you go and you join another. Do I want people who are searching for a faith family to join our church? Absolutely. But here's where I want us to have our emphasis. We are sharing the gospel with lost people in this city, people who don't know Jesus. And if the Lord so chooses to draw them to himself and they come to faith in him, that's how I want our church to explode, through a spirit of evangelism. I want us to be sharing the gospel, and I want us to be intentional about that, to have multiple gospel conversations every single week, because there are lost people right in your own neighborhood, and you know, you know the way to be saved. You know the one who rescues lost sinners, and he sent you on a mission. We have no excuse. We have no excuse to shirk responsibility on this mission, so I want the church to expand through evangelism and also through church planning you know we, we're supporting a church planner in, in New England right now and uh, hope to be able to, to you know see how that can expand as well but we want to see the gospel proclaimed in places where it is not proclaimed okay we want the church to expand through evangelism and church planning mission goal number one church expansion but Mission goal number two, church extension. So the first goal is church expansion. I want our church to grow. I want to have some gospel dreamers in this church who are on fire to take this mission and apply it every single day in their lives. But second, we want the church to extend. So we don't just want it to expand here. We want it to extend to the ends of the earth. We advance the kingdom through missions, okay? And I I absolutely love where we are in this uh, as a church right now. Um, Our mission includes extending the gospel to the ends of the earth. John Piper, you know, he once famously said, some of you know this, that when it comes to missions, when it comes to extending the gospel to the ends of the earth, you either go, you send, or you disobey. All right, and I've always loved that. It's so clear. Um, But, you know, how are we currently extending the gospel to the ends of the earth? You know, we, we, have, we have missions partners in Papua New Guinea. Uh, we have missions partners in the Middle East. Uh, we, have, we have missions partners in New Jersey and uh, with an extended ministry in Pakistan. We have a partner who's in India. And we support through the cooperative program the International Mission Board. And we've had two members from this church recently sent out, and they're gonna be working in tandem with the International Mission, Missions Board in a tough-to-reach place. So I absolutely love where we are, but the way that we accomplish our role in the mission is by extending the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we want to continue sending missionaries. So if you need a call, here it is: Who here will go? We don't want to stop sending missionaries out into the world, and we don't want to stop supporting them. I hope that 2020 is a year where we have multiple mission trips where we are going to support. Our partners and we are going to evangelize even in those places to to support their work so mission goal number one is church expansion mission goal number two is church extension and one more one more way that we advance the kingdom one more way that our church goes on mission is through church impact and influence church impact and influence so we advance the kingdom not only through gospel proclamation through evangelism not only through church planning and not only through extending the gospel to the ends of the earth through missions. But we advance the kingdom through mercy ministries and through outreach and, and by striving for human flourishing, especially in our city. Okay, so so what am I talking about here? Our mission includes influencing and impacting the communities in which we live for good. Okay? So here's a difficult question. As a staff, we we discussed this in our staff meeting. We're reading through a book that prompted this very question. Uh, The writer of the book asked, if we closed our doors tomorrow, so if our church closed up shop tomorrow and we quit meeting together, would the community care? Would they even know? Would our city care if we as a church... Stopped what we're doing? Would it matter to them? It's a diagnostic question about our influence and our impact in Tupelo. So as citizens of this spiritual eternal kingdom, we're living by the king's rules. And if we're in submission to him, as I said, it's worth repeating, wherever we are should be better because we're there. I think of just one historical example, William Wilberforce. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he was, uh, he was instrumental in, in ending slavery in Great Britain. He was a Christian. And his, his Christian principles, his, his devotion to the king, living as a citizen of the kingdom, compelled him, compelled him to use whatever influence he had to put an end to slavery. I, I think of in the book of James, his call to care for widows, to care for orphans, to care for the poor. So here's a question for us. How are we making a difference in Tupelo? As we go on mission and we announce the gospel, how also are we helping those who are hurting the most in our city? And there are a few ways we are currently doing that, by the way. We, we support the Park Gate Pregnancy Center we support the New Beginnings Adoption Agency. Through our Benevolence Fund and our Benevolence Ministry, we're able to help a number of people who are in, in dire need. Not only, not only members of, of Trace, but people in our city who have completely broken lives. We've been able to come alongside them in a number of ways to help them, to improve their lives. You know, we can't have this attitude of, well... I'm gonna announce the gospel to them because as long as they're saved, it doesn't matter, you know, if their physical needs are taken care of. We took care of their eternal needs. No, their physical needs matter too. Okay, people who are in suffering, if we have the power and the ability to help alleviate that suffering, we have the responsibility as those sent out by Jesus to help. And again, it's not the center of the mission. The center of the mission, the forgiveness of sins, the proclamation of what Jesus has done. But as we are living as kingdom citizens, we need to be impacting and influencing our city for the sake of the gospel. We're also doing it through the Talbot House. Our partnership with the Talbot House has really taken off. And and I love being able to come alongside and support the work there and to make relationships with people who are trying to recover their lives. It's a worthy work. It's a worthy work, and I want it to continue. A couple questions as we we finish up. Jesus invites us into the mission of God in two ways. So there are two questions that every single person in this room has to consider. Question number one. Since we are invited to respond to the gospel through faith and repentance, if you've never trusted in Jesus for salvation, would you do that today? Would you trust in him for salvation today? If you turn from your sin and trust in him today, your sins are forgiven. We can proclaim that over you with full confidence and full authority because of what Jesus has done. And second, we are invited into the mission of God as Jesus sends us into the world. So if you've already trusted in Jesus, so church, will you go? Will we go together? I don't know what that looks like for you exactly. It's gonna look a little bit different for everybody across this room. But I know that Jesus has sent you out into the world as his follower to announce the gospel and advance his kingdom. You have been sent. We have been sent. So let's go. Let's go. Let's go together in Tupelo, into the state, in our country, into the ends of the earth, telling of what Jesus has done and living like we know it's true.